Thanks for tuning in to the Bigger and Hunters podcast. It's your host, Hunter Dietl. Uh Today, we got a fun one for you. We talked to Ted LaGrange, the wetland program manager for the state of Nebraska. Uh, it's been one that Jeremy and I have been looking forward to a long time just because we hunt a lot of public marshes and we've always had some questions. And so we get a lot of answers to the questions we have. So some of the things we talked to Ted about, uh, we talked about uh, wetlands, the biodiversity of wetlands in the state of Nebraska. Uh, we talk about what wetlands do for not only hunters, but just the general population uh, and talking about water habitat or restoration and talking about uh, water restoration through the wetlands. Uh, we talk about uh, some of the work they're doing and some of the changes they're making and the differences between when he started till now. And then lastly, for the public land hunters, uh, it's been a big thing that's come up a lot as the pump schedules and talking about how and what they pick and uh, it gets really into the nitty gritty details of why they do what they do in terms of pumping. So if you're a public land hunter and have always asked those questions, this is going to be the podcast for you to listen to because you get a lot of those, those questions answered. And he also gives a couple of places you can look into to get some more answers. So uh, all I'll say is Ted is an awesome guy. Super excited to have him directing the same Nebraska because you can feel the passion in his voice for for wetlands in general, uh, awesome guy. And I hopefully we get to uh, have him on again, or I'd love to go hunting with him. So uh, before we get going here and get into the podcast, uh, this episode is brought to you by Chaku Peru. Angelo is a solid guy, hunted with him. Great dude. Would love to go home with him again if he comes up to Nebraska. But, uh, man, this, is, this guy's hunting the dream. Uh, if you're looking for an out of the United States, he actually does has uh, stuff in the U.S. too, but if you're looking for something to plan for next year to go outside the U.S., this guy's got it kind of all. Uh, if you check out his website, chakuperu.com, uh, he's got hunts in Peru, Chile, Mexico, the U.S., Australia, France, Spain, Cameroon, Argentina, and I'm probably going to mess it up, but Kyrgyzstan, either way, got some fantastic hunts. I want to go to Peru and hunt waterfowl with him. I uh, just haven't been able to work it out with timing, but we'll make it happen eventually. Uh, he's got the dream hunts. You know, if you want to go, you want to go to Mexico and hunt, boom, he's got you. Uh, check out his social media on Facebook and Instagram. If you're wanting to get a hold of him to book a hunt or kind of go through some details with him and maybe get a prize for something, check out his website. He's got a contact uh, page or DM on his uh, DM on his social media account. So Angelo's a, a stand-up guy. Would love to, would love to plan a trip with them in the future. So, all right, guys, let's go ahead and jump with the podcast. Welcome back to the Bigger Than Hunters podcast. You're, it's your host, Hunter Dietl, and my co-host, Jeremy. How are we doing, Jeremy? Doing pretty good. Pretty excited about this one. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one. So today we've got Ted LaGrange. Uh, he's uh, the wetland director for the state of Nebraska. How are we doing, Ted? Good, good. Yeah, we're covering the wetland program manager for 
Nebraska Game of Parks, and pleased to be with you. Perfect. Uh, tell us a little bit about your job and you know what, what you do day-to-day. Yeah, so I, I work for our uh, state's uh, Fish and Wildlife uh, and Parks Agency and uh, work in our wildlife division and, and uh, cover the entire state uh, of Nebraska, helping coordinate our wetland conservation program. So really exciting job in, in being able to cover all the, the diverse wetlands we have uh, across Nebraska and working with a, a lot of great staff and a lot of great partners to, to um, develop and deliver conservation for wetlands. So how did uh, how did it come about that you decided, hey, I, I love wetlands and this is what I want to get into? Sure, um, I, I from uh, from Iowa originally and and grew up in a family that uh, did a lot of outdoor activities, including hunting and fishing, and and we had a cabin along the Cedar River there, and uh, just uh, grew up enjoying duck hunting and enjoyed my time in wetland areas, and so as I got into even like junior high and kind of narrowed it down to wanting to work in waterfowl wetlands and um, just pursued that career because I loved, loved to be outdoors and, and um, was excited about conservation and um, went to Iowa State. Um, I'm sorry about that for some of the Husker fans, <laughs> but I have converted over to a Husker, uh, so, so if that counts. So um, yeah, I went to Iowa State and Fish and Wildlife and Worked for the Iowa DNR uh, for a while in their waterfowl research program, but came out to Nebraska in 1993. So I've been here uh, 29 years working on wetlands, and and um, was excited to take the job then, and then, and still excited to to do the job. Nebraska was a draw um, for me uh, because of the amazing abundance and diversity of wetlands uh, that that we have across the state. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, uh, I think that diversity surprises a lot of people. They, if they drive up and down the interstate, you know, if they don't get up into the sand hills or down in the rainwater basin or somewhere other amazing places, they, they really, uh, they're missing a lot. So how do you, I, that's the big question for me as a wetland manager in Nebraska is we are one of the most biodiverse states and especially on the wetland, uh, mm-hmm. in the wetland range. I mean, how do you, how do you balance that? That, that seems like a, a hard one. Yeah. I mean, a part of it is, uh, and a lot of people know the secret and, and if they're from Nebraska and get around and, um, and, and many of our duck hunters or people who go out and enjoy our outdoors for, you know, wildlife observation and, whatever draws them out there, if they get out and explore, um, explore our wild spaces, um, I think they have a pretty good idea of, of what Nebraska has to offer. But a lot of people, even people that grew up in Nebraska, lifelong residents, are not aware of some of the, the wetlands that we have and, and uh, the actions that we're taking, working with partners and private landowners to help deliver conservation and uh, so we actually have a project we're working with the uh, Platte Basin Time Loss uh, group on at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, uh, the Platte Basin Time Lapses, and, and Dexon Limited is a partner on it. And um, we're working on a wetland education and outreach project. So we'll have some materials this fall released that uh, some amazing videography and storyboards and photo galleries and things just uh, highlighting the, the amazing wetlands we have in Nebraska. Yeah, before I uh, 
I want to talk to you about the the Rainwater Basin Joint Venture. Before we kind of get there, yeah. uh, can you, I mean, for I, I think it's something that people don't think about, especially since we're more of a hunting podcast. I think about, they think about just hunting. But can mm-hmm. you share for some of our listeners the importance of wetlands, not not just for hunting purposes, but just in general, sure. the, the importance of uh, wetlands? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great question, something that, that's really important to, to address because uh, obviously they're important to hunters, uh, not only duck hunters, but uh, pheasant hunters and turkey hunters and and uh, even deer. You know, uh, lots of our game species will use wetlands. Uh, I also point out to our anglers that um, even though we sometimes get frustrated fishing in an area with, with too much uh, vegetation, uh, those wetlands at fringe is really important for our fish uh, productivity so providing food and and uh, shelter for especially small fish but beyond um beyond of course uh, things like hunting and angling there's a lot of people who have an interest in wetlands for wildlife observation or the green space that they provide a place to go hike or or just seek some solitude and um and take a break from from everyday um, life and and get out and enjoy the outdoors and i know it's hard for for you guys and me and probably a lot of your listeners to to fathom that there's people out there who don't have much interest in the outdoors um again hard for me to imagine but uh um but wetlands play really important roles and lots of benefits to society uh, things like flood control mm-hmm. groundwater recharge um, improving water quality so uh, water that passes through a wetland a lot of the pollutants get removed and so that water moving downstream or into the groundwater is actually of higher quality as it leaves the wetland than when it entered it. So, so I always try to point out that even if you're not a outdoor enthusiast, um, there's lots of reasons that we should care about wetlands and promote their conservation. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that speaks a lot to not just, uh, you know, the water purif- purification is a huge deal. And I think that's a big thing of making sure, you know, as a hunter using that resource to make sure that we, we leave it cleaner than where when we walked in because, you know, that's a huge part and huge impacts downstream if not taken care of, right? So, you know, that yeah, yeah. that, that resource isn't just conserved by you guys in the state and what you do, with, especially on the the habitat side, but also on hunters to make sure that we're not taking something into the resource um and ruining in a lot of ways so that that's a huge thing for me um yeah definitely for for the users and and um we also have um you know nebraska is predominantly a private land state so we have farmers ranchers acreage owners other property owners and and uh you know they're good stewardship of, uh, of trying to ensure that we keep you know, water clean and wetlands on the landscape is really important too. So kind of getting into it, um, what, I mean, what are some changes you've seen on our wetlands since you even took over back in 93? Yeah, I, am, I, I think there's been, you know, it's a mixed report as, as uh, would often be the case. We certainly have ongoing pressures on our wetlands, um, they are protected by some laws, uh, but um, or, or many of them are. But but there's still some wetland loss that happens uh, in places, and but more um, a bigger factor probably some ongoing threats due to things like invasive species and 
silt or sediment, you know, that runs off after a heavy rain and can get into the wetland and cause it to, to not work as well. Um, so those are some of the negatives that are, are, you know, still happening, but that's balanced by a lot of really positive things that have happened um, due to the efforts of many, many people and agencies, organizations, landowners, hunters, um, you know, on, on implementing conservation measures for wetlands. So whether it's protecting an area and, and maybe having it become part of a wildlife management area, um, we've done a lot of restoration of wetlands on our on our state land so uh, many of our wildlife management areas that have wetlands we've done projects to plug drains take out invasive species try to improve their management uh, take out some of that silt or sediment um, improve water delivery uh, if that's needed and um, and so there's lots of positive things that way and then we also have programs that we work closely with, with uh, landowners, with ranchers, farmers, um, you know, acreage owners, recreational landowners. If they have an interest in doing something with their wetland, um, we've got program and people and partners who can help them. So, so that's all. And it's been some really satisfying things to see happen over the years or the restoration of, of those uh, wetlands and programs have been developed to work with those landowners. Gotcha. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a huge part with partnering. And <clears throat> if you can't get everybody on the same page and one, getting in one direction, it's never going to go anywhere. And I think that's something that I've seen, especially in the last couple of years with some of these joint ventures that have, I've seen a lot of yeah. positive movement towards everyone saying, okay, like this is a resource and if we're not going to conserve it, it's, it's going to go away, and so what can we do to conserve it? I think a big thing for me, and I've, I've seen is, um, I guess there's an article that came out uh, quite a while back, but it said of the the first recorded rainwater basin playa, I think there was like 10 or 20% of what there was, I think, I want to say their first recorded was 1910. I can't remember, but, I mean. Yeah, that's, what, that's what's, about uh, Yep. What's the, I mean, what's a, what's the drain on that playa? Yeah. What's happened to those playas and you're right. About 80% of the playas have been lost, uh, you know, destroyed or very, very highly impaired and degraded. And, uh, from, you know, the estimates from the early soil surveys, which were the early 1900s to today's estimates. And, and what's happened to those is kind of death by a thousand cuts in a lot of ways. There's, you know, water was drained out of them into road ditches. Um, a lot of land leveling happened, especially in the 60s and 70s, to uh, uh, to set up fields better for surface water irrigation. It was more common back then before we had center pivots. And so a lot of those small wetlands, those little divots on that landscape, just got filled in and disappeared. And then related agricultural water, irrigation water management uh, pits would be put in to recapture that irrigation water, which is a good thing. But some of them were put at the, uh, out in the wetland. And so it took that shallow water, bigger wetland, and kind of concentrated the water into a deep rectangular pit. And so kind of a, and then the ongoing issues with erosion, sediment getting into those wetlands and 
and some of the invasive species that weren't present here historically. And so you kind of add all those up and in many wetlands have had many, you know, multiple factors that have caused them to over time basically just disappear and not, not function anymore as a wetland. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that I don't, it doesn't seem to be just, uh, an issue just in this area. I mean, I've obviously the, the talk of ducks unlimited for years, this has been the, the destruction of habitat. And I don't think it's just something that is happening here. It's happening across the U S and I think exactly it's one of those things that if we don't take a step now, or we're really going to be, you know, in a hurting, but, uh, it's, it's one of those subtle things too, that, um, you know, I've been here a while. And and so even, even though I have a, I think a pretty good eye developed for looking at these things, you know, I'll look back at a photograph from 20, 30 years ago or think about, you know, a drive and like, yeah, there used to be some habitat over there and it's gone now, you know, and it's like, it doesn't all happen at once. It happens a little bit at a time. And so I think we, we don't notice the scale that some of those alterations have happened at unless you go back and, and look at some historical information compared to where, what we're at today. Well, I think that's a big thing too. You know, even I kind of want to get into droughts and stuff, but even on like difference in mm-hmm. drought years and wet years, you know, you could see those little potholes and stuff get filled up and almost be like a mini, I wouldn't even see like half acre wetland that ducks like to pile into. And then, you know, a dry, drought year like last year, I was like, well, that, that's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not there. <laughs> so it's not holding yeah, any ducks okay. or anything. So, um, yeah, and some of those are, I guess I would, distinguish between you know like if the wetland's been altered and like filled in with land level and disappeared then even in that year you know it's not gonna gonna function very well whereas you know we do naturally have droughts that happen and and so yeah sometimes they go dry that's not necessarily a bad thing it's it's maybe a bad thing if you're a duck hunter looking to replace the hunt i recognize that but uh, periodic droughts that cause those wetlands to dry up um, that's just part of the part of nature, and the wetlands are actually well adapted to that. And and the life that lives in them is pretty well adapted to that too. It will find other places uh, um, or has abilities to come back after a drought. But it's that long term destruction that that they can't recover from. So what does a I mean what role does a drought play for these wetlands, uh, like positive and negatives? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, I mean, some of the positives um, are that you know, a lot of people don't realize that the, most, almost all the wetland plants that uh, we like to have out in a wetland that we use to, to hide in or that provide food for ducks and other wildlife, those plants actually, the seeds of those plants don't germinate if they're underwater. And um, there's a few types that do, but many of the species we really, um, really try to manage for will only germinate, the seeds will only germinate when that wetland's dried out because what happens is, of course, the, the, the floor of that wetland gets exposed to sun and oxygen and some of the, the nutrients those plants need get uh, kind of into a form they can use in that condition. And so those plants sprout and grow and that's what causes that wetland vegetation to be there. And if you held the water at a steady level constantly 
you actually wouldn't, those plants eventually die and you wouldn't have, have those plants present. So, so that's a real key factor and important reason why sometimes we, if we've gone a while without a drought, we'll actually lower water levels sometimes to try to simulate that and get those plants growing again. Um, maybe another advantage of the drought is um, or when wetlands are dry, if we have some intensive management that we need to do or a restoration project, it's much easier to go in and work in those when they're dry. So, so we do try to take advantage of those dry conditions when they happen and get, get a fair amount of that dirt work done. But the downside of it is clearly when they're dried out, um, they're not habitat for some of the things like waterfowl and obviously duck hunters and other people who seek these sites for recreation. Um, you know, they're, they're not available for them to use when they're, they're dried out. So, Well, I found that even it seems it's, it's crazy how adaptable wildlife is because on the years that, uh, you know, something dries out, there usually is a large amount of vegetation just because there, there was a water resource there. And, you know, like, you've already spoke of plants tend to grow, especially in that scenario. If they get some water, you know, it's crazy that, that we may not see the amount of waterfowl, but the amount of, even this year with the drought, I have seen a consistent amount or growth of pheasants this last year. And so there, there may not be as many waterfowl, which I mean, I love to hunt waterfowl, but the amount of pheasants that I saw this year was more than I've seen in a while, which is great. You know? Yep. Yep. No, they're really important. I mentioned when we were talking about the other benefits provided, things like pheasant hunting, because those wetlands, whether they're wet or dry, provide food cover, um, both winter cover, but also, uh, nesting cover when they're dried out and a place for their, you know, young pheasant chicks to go and find food. Um, the both insects are looking for, and then when they get a little older, some of the seeds and things. So, um, yeah, they're really important for, for a variety of different wildlife species. And again, most people think wetlands, you think ducks right away, and that's obviously important, but you know, they're habitat for not only a game species like pheasants, but also a lot of other birds and reptiles, amphibians, mammals, um, insects, you know, that use wetlands. There's a tremendous amount of diversity of life in, in those, um, both when they're wet and dry. And, and again, that cycling back and forth to, to wet up and then dry and get wet again is one of the things that really drives that productivity and provides that habitat. Just curious before we move on. Um, I know that we've been in a drought on this side of the state, but I know the Western side of the state has been in probably, I would say a harsher, more extreme drought. Does that play a role like a negative role or does it really, I mean, is it that much effect? It's, it's again, probably part of that natural cycle. Um, it seems like we, and when we do, and, and there's good reasons to worry about drought for a variety of reasons for water users and agriculture and, and, and certain types of wildlife and and um we we worry when things are going dry and then it's amazing how quick things can turn around and at least i've seen over over my life and in work that um you know that every time we start to panic about it's never going to rain again <laughs> you know we get a, a year like 2019 or something where you know you have water everywhere and then then we're worried well is it ever going to dry out again so um 
yeah, there's some areas in, in pretty severe drought, and, and that's always concerning. Um, and yeah, you hope that that's a, a, as it has been in the past, kind of a, a temporary cycle and that, that you know, things will return to, well, there's never normal in Nebraska. There's, uh, you know, it averages over time, but, it, you know, you'll get some rainfall and kind of replenish those areas. So. I, yeah, it's, it's, you know, as a duck hunter, I will say if every year was 2019, uh-huh. I, I wouldn't be completely against it. 20, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it'd be great, <laughs> but. 2019 yeah. and 2020, if we could be just like that, it'd be That'd great. Be great. I'm not but, saying it's probably yeah. the healthiest, but <laughs> as a duck hunter, it'd be great. But, uh, yeah. there was something that I was reminded of a couple of days ago. Uh, my, I was hanging out at my in-law's house and. They have that their house, and then next to their house, they've got this like lar- longer grass field. I'm not sure what it is, but you over the last few years, I've heard some pheasants, and then they've kind of disappeared, and then they kind of get back. Get back. I was really reminded because we had a podcast a little while ago talking with a, a friend of our Doug's, and he works with Pheasant Forever a little bit, and talking to mm-hmm. him about habitat for pheasants, and I was reminded of. Because we we went in this debate of, I was thinking maybe the state should push towards like releasing more. He explained his position on being a little more habitat driven, and we kind of went back and forth. It was a great podcast, but get back to the point. I was reminded because I was sitting out there, you know, throwing the bumpers for my dogs, and there was just pheasants going on everywhere, just going off. And he's like, "Man," or I was talking to the in laws, and like, "Yeah, there's just seems to be pheasants everywhere." And it's like I was reminded just uh, the importance of habitat. So um, in talking about the, you know, what you guys are doing with habitat and development of habitat, kind of talk to us about the joint venture you have in the the rainwater basin. Yeah, we have a couple of joint ventures in the state, but the one that probably is most active in implementing conservation on the ground is the the rainwater basin joint venture. And, and they've been, been, um, here for about 30 years, uh, operating in South Central Nebraska, predominantly in those rainwater basin playa wetlands we, we mentioned earlier. And so it's a partnership with a lot of agencies, uh, organizations, and landowners that is trying to figure out how do we best um, bring back habitat in a way that can meet the needs of, of both the wildlife and, and the, the communities that um, of of people that um, are on that landscape. And so really are trying to figure out how do we balance that and, and improve habitat, restore some of these wetlands where we can, uh, improve them if they're in public ownership for, for wildlife, help landowners you know, better manage their sites. So I think those are all really um, great things that the, that the joint venture has done um, over over the span of time, working with lots of different partners, it's really incredible. Um, especially some of the the work that you guys do, and I will say, like you know, go back and what I was saying is, I saw more pheasants this year than I've seen, I think, ever down there. And I, I remember a story. I was doing some um, some scouting early season, and I just see this. It was definitely a probably a year old rooster, and I was like, 
where'd that come from? <laughs> like, oh yeah. <laughs> where, like, where'd you come from? <laughs> Cause he just put yeah, his head out of the yeah. grass and started running. I was like, wow, that's, that was really cool. I, you know, like I'm super, I, th- that gets me excited because, um, obviously I hear about the stories of the past and uh, hearing about pheasants. And so it was, it's awesome to see that development of, of pheasants. Um, yeah, where, where we have good habitat, you know, again, I, I'm the habitat person. Uh, that's what I focus on. And that if you have good habitat um, uh, and things cycle in wildlife, like you talked about, like the wetlands do and, and some of the wildlife populations do too, in response to, so water cycles and other things, but if you have a good core of habitat on the land, a lot of those uh, wildlife species um, will will thrive. So, so there was a question I had for you. Um, speaking to, um, I know we we as as hunters we have our duck hunting stamp, um, and we pay for that mm-hmm. and habitat management stamp. What what does those funds go towards just curious sure there's a state waterfowl stamp and a state habitat stamp there's also a federal stamp that uh, that uh, waterfowl hunters uh purchase and and so those are um those funds are earmarked towards doing habitat projects um so everything from um, purchasing a, a wildlife area or adding on to a, a wildlife area uh, doing the restoration work that we, we talked about doing, um, helping uh, support our, our private lands project. Um, you know, those those funds that come from the stamps and also from the, the sale of, of hunting and fishing licenses. And also, you know, there is a, a, a an excise manufacturer's excise tax on sporting goods and ammunition Mm-hmm. And those monies get cost shared back to the, the on the wildlife side called Pittman Robertson dollars, and and so that really is a, is a big part of what funds the wetland work that we do um, provides kind of the core of our funding to improve, uh, uh, make create new habitat areas and improve areas, and um, we do get a lot of other grant dollars from other sources. Uh, Nebraska Environmental Trust and North American Wetlands Conservation Act and lots and lots of different sources. And those are really important, but we need kind of that core base of funding um, to support uh, the, the programs that we're offering and the projects that we're doing. That's, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that I've always said in the podcast that, you know, the, the rate at which we can conserve these is the amount of dollars that people are willing to you know put out in order to develop these i mean there's only so much money in the world and so much time and you know so many hours Mm -hmm. in the day to be able to do this stuff but uh but yeah let's i'm gonna switch gears a little bit i know that jeremy had a few questions for you all right I have a few questions that we both have. Hunter just wants me to kind of play the bad guy here, I guess. No, you could no, say. I just I've, I've <laughs> talked pretty much this whole time. Yeah, and I'm no, trying I, to... I, I honestly, I've just been sitting listening. Actually, all this information, like from my end, has been like awesome to listen to. Purely on the fact that for like a year of my life, I studied wildlife management in college, and like the wetlands, okay. the wetlands was like. That was what I really wanted to get into. My love for duck hunting in particular, like I just super enjoyed it. Um, but 
I'm not good at biology, so, <laughs> so it didn't work out, but that's okay. Well, you're, you're contributing in other ways, and that's it, all important. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so switching almost a little bit, both on the information side and as mm-hmm. a waterfowl hunter, um, and I'm sure you get asked this question all the time, or, you know, you want, want people want to hear information on this, like, since you take care of the wetlands and you probably have a really good look into this. One question that a lot of people have asked us to talk about tonight is what goes into the pumping schedule specifically, you know, rain basin or other, you know, wetlands throughout the state. Um, you know, is is there differences, you know, dry year versus wet year, you know, just what goes into it? Cause I think we're all curious. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. And I get, um, I get a lot of, of uh, that question. <laughs> we actually have, a, um, and, uh, and, and that's great. I mean, I appreciate the interest and, and it, it is complicated, but, uh, and there's a lot of factors that go into it. And we do have on our website, if, if people go to the gaming parks website, where we have our information about the areas we're pumping and kind of what the, the weekly conditions are in the wetlands uh, yeah. throughout the fall. We do have a link there to something called pumping pointers, which is kind of a question and answer document that so if people want more information than, you know, I can give them a quick bit here. Um, you know, they should go check that out for more information, but uh, a couple of factors that we need for the fall pumping. We have a meeting in August um, and with our biologists who manage these areas and we talk about what the conditions are in August, you know, and uh, it's usually a couple of weeks out from the opening of the teal season. Mm-hmm. And if we meet uh, much earlier, um, it doesn't matter because things can change. And I've seen them change so quickly. Mm-hmm. So we try to have it a few weeks out from the um, teal opener so we can make some decisions and have that information shared on our website at least a uh, a week, a little more than a week out from the opener. So people can like scout the weekend mm-hmm. before. And so we just assess the, the conditions. Uh, sometimes our waterfowl biologists and other biologists get up and fly. And because you can see and assess conditions a lot better from the air. And so they will, will do that. And then um, we need talk about what areas we think need pumped and when we might pump them. Um, one of the things that it's important for people to understand is even though, you know, in a dry year, especially like last fall, it was really dry going into the teal season. We had a lot of people wanting us to just pump everything right away. And what we found over the years is that when we have super dry conditions, so the wetlands are cracked deeply through the clays and we have hot, dry, windy days we can turn on our wells and pump all day and night and we don't hardly make a difference in those wetlands because that water just soaks into the ground. And so one of the things we assess is do we have some areas that are kind of moist and sometimes we have areas where they caught a rain and maybe the cracks have kind of sealed up. And so we'll target pumping those areas initially. Mm. Now, once you get, into say late September, as most duck hunters would know, obviously it starts cooling down. We get shorter days. We uh, sometimes get some rains, and uh, 
an important factor is the plants start to die back, especially after we've had a frost. And those plants use a lot of water in August and early September when they're growing. But as those start to die back and we get cooler days, we can make a lot better progress on pumping than we do. And But sometimes people, of course, want everything pumped real early. And that sometimes this is impossible and is not a, a good use of our water or our dollars. And so we, we carefully try to decide which areas are going to benefit from pumping early. And then we save some of that money and water uh, for later pumping into the, the main duck season in October. And, and so that's, those are kind of some of the factors that really drive the, those decisions. And we, we share that information on our website. And then in some years, we've had a few years where we hardly had to pump anything. That's rare. Probably mm-hmm. those years you talk about with hunting yeah, yeah. so good, uh, where we just have lots of water. And that's great because we don't have to pump as much. We attract and hold more ducks when we have those wet years. There's, it spreads out the hunters. It spreads out the ducks. It's just a lot better. We can't ever pump enough, you know, to simulate what you get in a really nice wet fall. Yeah. But yeah. we do our best to try to pump areas that we can. Uh, last year in the rainwater basin, I think we pumped um, 31 areas uh, on the state side. Uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service pumped in, put water into about eight different areas. And, and then we did on some um, a few of our wildlife areas outside of the rainwater basin. I think total about 40 different wildlife areas got water delivered to them last fall. So that's a lot, but it's, you know, it's hard when it's dry everywhere. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I guess if, you, if it's okay to go into, and that's a decision on how much we can pump into these areas. So I kind of talked about what factors go into deciding when we can pump and which areas we pump. But we also have limitations on, um, how much water we can put in wetlands without starting to impact our neighbors. So, you know, out in the rainwater basin, that landscape's pretty flat, and we often don't own the entire wetland. Some of that wetland um, area, or historic wetland area at least, goes off onto private farmland. And when that's the case, we have to be really careful not to impact that neighbor, mm, especially good. before they've harvested their crop. So oh, now we have some never thought about that angle of it. Actually. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people just you know, turn on the well and just leave it go until <laughs> we've had it full. And, and that'd be great for the duck hunters and yeah. great for wildlife, but um, not great for the farmer uh, that's getting water on them. And, you know, we would probably be taken to court. <laughs> it had been a time. So, uh, yeah, we have to be good neighbors out there. And, and we have some farmer neighbors that are just great. Um, some of them are like, as soon as I get my corn out, um, I don't care if there's a little water, you know, pump away. Others are more cautious about that. And so we have to, we have to um, be aware of that. And it, uh, it's just a, a, a reality we have to deal with. So the, the long-term solution to that is if we can get agreements or uh, purchase a, a round out, we call it, you know, a, an additional area to that wildlife area and get the, um, the entire wetland, um, under like public ownership, mm-hmm. um, then that 
that issue goes away. And we and we have a few areas like that. We can pump those more, and we do so. But there's a lot of areas we own half of it or less, and and we just have to be really careful about impacting those neighbors. Or you know, that's yeah, you just got to be good neighbors. Yeah, it seems to be. It's just one of those things you got to work with a lot of people and. That's a, I think when Jeremy and I kind of came in this conversation, I mean, it, this hunting season was definitely a lot tougher than it has been before. But I think yep. going into this, this conversation, uh, Jeremy and I were just really excited just cause that's the thing is from our perspective. Yeah. We just want to like <laughs> turn on the pumps, you know, you, you, you get that talk, but at the same time, and that's what we kind of went into is like, I'm sure you have a whole list of complicated issues and, um, I think one of the big ones that I wanted to ask you about is, I mean, what, what kind of water rights issues do you guys have down there between the farmers and like mm-hmm. the state mm-hmm. of Kansas? That's where I was going to go to. Kansas. Yeah. So, uh, water law in Nebraska is complicated. It depends whether we're taking groundwater or surface water out of like a stream or river. Uh, almost all of our wildlife management areas, the game and parks, um, manages, we do pumping of groundwater. So, we either have a, sometimes when we purchase an area, um, it was, you know, in crop production and there's an irrigation well basically on that property that we buy and can use to pump those wetlands. Um, sometimes the well's in the wrong place. Sometimes it's not working well. Um, and sometimes there's not one and we put one in. And uh, we've had a lot of partners help us. That's another source of funds we've used our duck stamp dollars and, and habitat stamp dollars to help fund uh, we put in new wells and pipelines that can deliver the water into the wetland more efficiently because uh, sometimes the wells are up on a hillside where they were you know where especially in an agricultural operation that's where the farmer had the well um, so the water would flow properly um, so we'll put in pipelines and those are regulated. We have to register that well if it's a new one, just like any landowner does with our State Department of Natural Resources. And then we also have to follow the water rules for groundwater for the natural resource district that we're in. And so there's a number of those in, in this, across the state, and they each have a little different rules that relate to groundwater usage. And so many of our wells have meters and we report uh, the water used. If we get into a situation where they start to restrict pumping, then we comply with those rules. So if they're shutting down farmers and others on irrigating, it doesn't happen too often in areas we're pumping, but if that were to happen, then we comply with those water rules within that natural resource district. So you're saying you've got a few hurdles. <laughs> <laughs> well, a few things you got to comply to. I'd say for the most part, that those have not been issues. I mean, the registering is just kind of a, so they have a record of it. Um, and for the most part, in like the rainwater basin, um, the groundwater levels have been holding up pretty well there. And so have not had much for restricted use on, on that restrictions on groundwater pumping there so um, there are places where to balance groundwater and surface water issues you know they have moratoriums on new wells um, 
and uh, we would comply with that as well. If if there's a moratorium on like an irrigation well, then you know we we can't add one even if we wanted to there. So so, uh, but for the most part, uh, they, uh, another thing I'd point out just from the rural use is it looks like we when you put water into a wetland and you watch that water flowing out of the pipe, it's like well that's a lot of water. And it is, uh, you know, but compared to what, you know, like a center on, a, on a, a section of land for irrigating during the crop growing season, you know, the, the amount of water we put into the wetlands is much, much smaller than that. So we're, it's a smaller area and we're pumping when it's more efficient to pump that water uh, again when it's a little cooler. Gotcha. You have any more? Uh, when it comes to the, I I was going to slip this question in somewhere when it comes to the, uh, this fall, me and Hunter kind of have this thing going back and forth. I'm a very optimistic person. (laughs) Uh, I I, I try to live life. If I'm going to get disappointed, I'm going to get disappointed hard. So, which (laughs) is probably bad, but here we are. Um, uh, you know, just with how the spring and early summer has gone, what if it was to say stay <laughs> relatively consistent with what it's been? I mean, from my eyes, I feel like we're getting a good amount of rain. I could be totally wrong, um, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like, is it? Are, are we looking good for the future? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I laugh because we're a long ways away from the decadent season. Yeah, I, I, oh, I know. I, we, we, we have those same discussions in the office because we've had some really wet summers. And, um, and of course, we're not even into summer yet. Yeah. But, you know, you're driving in and, you know, farmers are, are concerned because their crops are flooding out. We'll get rain, rain, rain. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I remember hunters that must be the optimistic ones in our office. You know, are like, this is going to be the best duck season ever. And I'm always... Maybe I'm more uh, pessimistic because I'm always like, you know, it can dry up in August, and <laughs> and, and, uh, I, and it sometimes does. And, and that was I just remember that one year in particular because we had water everywhere, and mm-hmm. then it dried up, and there was very little from the duck season. Um, the flip side also can happen, and I've seen that over the years that you can go into August is super dry, and you're like, oh, it's going to be terrible. You know, we're going to have to pump every, everywhere and we're not going to hold many ducks. And you get a huge rain in September or mm-hmm. early October. You get one of those three, four inch rains and everything fills up with water. And it's like, wow, it can change overnight. And and uh, it's, it's part of the marvel. I mean, the dynamics of these, how quickly they can dry up quickly. They can fill really quickly. And it's just part of the... the the natural cycle. But yeah, so I'm not going to predict how it's going to be this fall at this point. <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell you in October. Uh, how's that? <laughs> dang. Well, that's the thing is I, I'm on the same level with you, and I, he keeps saying like, oh, yeah. He's like, oh, I'm so optimistic. I, he I, he even texted me this I morning. I texted today. I was like feeling optimistic. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, a lot of times this is how our season. We have a wet spring. We get into June. It's looking pretty good. Middle of mm-hmm. July, it's starting to heat up, and by the end of July, it's like, oh goodness, here we go, desert I just, condition. I yeah. just know last year, like last spring, I was freaking out at the end of May, even because we didn't even get that much rain during the spring. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. Uh, so I, 
I knew you're probably gonna give me the answer you just gave me, but I, I had to slip it. I had to slip <laughs> yeah, it in there it somewhere. It was worth trying. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, before we kind of um, kind of let you off here, I do have a couple questions for you. You know, sure. for for the more. people who oh, you got another. I got they go with yours, but I got one that I've always wanted to ask somebody okay. in his position. Go ahead first. Oh, it could be like a long conversation. That's okay. <laughs> Okay, <clears throat> I've always been curious what the situation is with the uh, uh, federal uh, wetlands in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. me and Hunter, we hunt the basin a lot. You drive around the yep. basin and like, you know, for one, every one or two state properties, you know, there's like eight federals and... I noticed you said that they only pumped like eight of them last year or put water into eight of them. Um, in the fall. In the mm-hmm. fall. Yes, in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always been two things that I've noticed. I'm curious as to why they only pump so few with how many there are. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I've always noticed is it seems uh, like it seems like the federal stuff doesn't get as much care. Um, I, you know... After 2019, 2020, with all that water, I remember driving around and, you know, this last season in particular, and I watched, or I looked at a lot of those that just, man, it almost looked like they needed to be mowed down and started over because they were so grown up with whatever plant life you want to say. I mean, cattails, everything Mm -hmm. far in between. Um, I guess I'll just start with, is there... Like, do they get less care or, you know, what is the reasoning that they just yeah. just don't yeah. seem as valuable, I guess, from a duck hunter's eyes or, you know, potentially from your eyes? I don't Yeah, I mean, I, I can share, you, share with you a little bit of, of what I know on that. And, and obviously, I can't speak for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, mm-hmm. yeah. the federal agency, the, the uh, Rainwater Basin Wetland Management District Office. I know those people. They care a lot about what yeah. they do. They care about their wetlands, their avid duck hunters. Yeah. Uh, um, and so the issue on like how much they can pump is really budget related. Um, they have not gotten much, any of an increase in money for their operations for things that they can use like for pumping. And one thing that people don't realize is the federal duck stamp you buy, that can be used for a lot of great things for wetlands. And there's a restriction on that. They're not able to use those monies for pumping. Mm. And, and so when their budget doesn't get increased or gets cut by Congress, don't have the money to turn on the wells and operate them. Um, and then the other thing is, is that uh, we have a lot of things we do this very similar but we do have a little different missions. You know, we're different agencies like the state mm-hmm. versus the Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, and so they focus um, a little more of their efforts with their limited dollars on spring pumping. And and that's important, too. I mean, we, we're actually starting to do some spring pumping because you've got to keep those ducks and other wildlife healthy on the spring migration so they can arrive on the breeding grounds and, and thrive. Mm-hmm. And, and so spring habitat's really important. So it's kind of game and parks over the last 
20 years, I would say. Gaiman Parks has probably done more pumping in the fall, and the Fish and Wildlife Service on those waterfall production areas has done more pumping in the spring. Mm. And and it's kind of a little bit of difference in our in our missions, but also just a difference in funding streams that we have to operate with. Um, that said, I would um, Ducks Unlimited and the Rainwater Basin Joint Venture working on, uh, especially Ducks Unlimited on the fundraising side to raise money for an endowment to help pay for pumping. And I think what will happen with that is it's getting some decent funding from, from some amazing donations. Um, I think those funds will be able to help the Fish and Wildlife Service do some more pumping in the fall with those dollars because they'll, they'll replace some of those dollars they lost in their budget. Wow, that's incredible. And the, flip, yeah, that's awesome. the flip side of that is I think Gaiman Parks might pump a little more in the spring, which would be great for spring migrating waterfowl, but, but still keep our, our pumping level like we have been in the fall um, where we pump what we can when we can. So, Well, this, this is great because it worked out. You asked your question. My question, and i kind of getting into this. I won't keep you too much longer. Um, for okay. guys that... You know, there are people that say, like, pump everything, pump it all the time. Or basically what I'm, I'm getting to is, like, guys like us that really care about duck hunting, really care about wetlands, how do we how do we get involved? You took it out of my mouth, actually. That was the second half of that question that I had. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, I mean, mentioned things like that, the, the pumping endowment. But, it's, you know, it's, it's more than that. Uh, it's, it's just supporting conservation of wetlands, whether it be, you know, obviously, if you're a hunter, you're buying hunting license and stamps and and things like that. So that's great. You know, supporting those uh, conservation organizations uh, that kind of align with your mission and interests is really great. We we work with those partners um, all the time, and they provide really critical uh, resources and expertise for for us. Uh, you know, obviously, with ducks, things like Ducks Unlimited. Uh, there, there's a number of organizations that that people can support, and then just um, you know advocating for the conservation of wetlands. Uh, um, you know, if you care about wetlands and you want want them to stay healthy on the landscape and provide those benefits that we talked about earlier, um, just providing a voice that that hey, wetlands are important, and um, we we want to. Um, take actions to to ensure their conservation there's something that i've always thought about and i was curious i don't obviously i don't know what kind of hurdles you guys would have probably at least on the insurance side but has the game parks ever thought about maybe putting together like work volunteer work days where we could go work on the same brain like (laughs) goodness gracious uh working on like working on like habitat we've had a few of those um over the years and there there are some volunteer opportunities it, it's challenging because of the, the scale that we do some of the things at. you know uh, we're doing things like aerial spraying of herbicide or or putting a fence on a you know a, a large area or conducting a, a prescribed burn which you know you have to be um have certain credentials for that um yeah it's it's uh a lot of the actions we do are done with, you know, big equipment and things. So, um, 
that said, I think that's uh, certainly worth discussing um, further is like, are there ways we can engage people um, who have that interest in helping in, in ways that maybe we're not now? So, well, I think the big thing too is like, uh, for me is trying to get uh, someone that has a voice within the community that can really get that word out. Because I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of people that feel that way. I think they're just sometimes um, trying to get across those lines and get the, the telephone ringing and get everybody on one page and get them moving. So that would yeah. be, obviously, if, you have, if you've ever, ever have any interest of that, you got a couple guys here that run a podcast and have some uh, some push in the community, let us know. We'd be happy to help. And there's, yeah, there's I, other I opportunities. So, but, uh, you got anything? Uh, I mean, I'm sure I could sit and talk with this man for about eight hours, but he probably wants to go to bed <laughs> at some point. But, <laughs> uh, well, but, it's, uh, no, it's been a, been a pleasure talking with you guys. And, and, um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, what I do is, is uh work work with wetlands so appreciate those questions and the interest and and um be happy to if you have some other questions that come up be happy to be back on with you sometime yeah that would be great um well i'll sign us off just stay on the line and then i got a question to ask you after i get off the uh, the podcast so i'll sign us off here well thanks ted thanks again for spending uh, uh an hour with us i know your time is very valuable uh, means a lot to us and gets some answers that we've always had. So thank you very much. Thanks to all our listeners yeah, for listening. Uh, thanks to the listeners to listen to the Big Red Hunters podcast. Hope you got some of your questions answered. If you guys have any more, let me know, and maybe we can have them on again. So all right, everybody, have a good night.